Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. Today on an all-new Dr. Phil, he gunned down American sniper Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield. Something snapped in my son. What did you say to yourself when you realized your boy had murdered two people? In an exclusive interview. I was telling my son to get out of the damn truck. Get out of the truck, son. It was a heart-stopping moment. His family reveals dramatic new details. Have you ever watched a scary movie and the villain's eyes turn black? It was in real life, and it scared the living hell out of me. There's a side of this story that hasn't been told. Talking about vampires and werewolves and wanting to suck your blood, he tries to blow his brains out. It hurt me so deeply that my child could do this. Did the jury get this right? You approach Chris Kyle, and he agrees to help. I would have never asked if I had an idea that this could happen. Inside the mind of the man who shot the American sniper, a Dr. Phil exclusive. The life and death of American sniper Chris Kyle has captivated both the nation and Hollywood. He has been called the deadliest sniper in American history. His story became a best-selling novel and later a record-breaking blockbuster movie starring Bradley Cooper, bringing in more than $500 million in ticket sales worldwide and six Academy Award nominations. But on February 2, 2013, Chris Kyle and his close friend Chad Littlefield lost their lives senselessly. Chris risked his life fighting for this country and after four tours of duty in the Iraq war, he miraculously managed to return home safe and sound. But in a terrible twist of fate, the young war hero who had survived for years in the world's most dangerous combat zones, lost his life in his home state. Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield were fatally gunned down at a local shooting range by a troubled veteran they were both trying to help. While the movie American Sniper played in theaters, the real-life trial of Chris and Chad's killer, Eddie Ray Routh, was underway. It's a terrifying call for help. My brother told me that he's committed a murder. I'm terrified for my life. The most lethal sniper in U.S. history was gunned down at a Texas shooting range. The man arrested a troubled former Marine whom Kyle was trying to help. Routh shot Kyle in the back six times as well as Kyle's friend, Chad Littlefield, seven times. This dash cam video shows the black truck driven by Ralph led police on a chase that reached speeds of 100 miles an hour. Officers tried to ram the truck, but Ralph surrendered minutes later. Ruth admitted to his sister that he killed the men and considered running to Oklahoma to avoid arrest. Ralph's attorneys say the veteran was battling PTSD and schizophrenia. Following his arrest, Eddie Ray Routh was interviewed by a Texas Ranger. He told his interrogator after meeting Kyle and Littlefield, I imagine they're headhunters trying to hunt everybody down. The capital murder trial of Eddie Routh finally began today. The officer in the police cruiser suggested during testimony that Routh was purposely putting on a display 
a man in control of his actions, not someone, as his insanity defense claims, who did not know right from wrong. You know, what you, what you do today is wrong, right? You understand that? He told them, I've been so paranoid and schizophrenic all day. I don't know what to even think of the world right now. I don't know if I'm insane or sane. Two weeks and three dozen witnesses boils down to this. The jury did not buy the insanity defense. We, the jury, find the defendant Eddie Ray Routh guilty. Eddie Routh was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. We've waited two years for God to, to get justice for us on behalf of our son. Eddie Ray Routh was found guilty for the brutal, senseless, and heartbreaking murder of a modern-day American hero and his close friend. So many viewers have written and asked, Dr. Phil, who does this? What kind of person would do such a horrible thing and why? Was it PTSD at its absolute worst? Was it mental illness or just pure evil? Today, in an exclusive interview, Eddie Ray Rouse's parents, Jody and Raymond Rouse, and his sister, Laura Blevins, speak out for the very first time about the man, the son, the brother, who has become one of the most hated figures in modern times, the man they say desperately needed help. Well, I know that y'all must be absolutely heartbroken um, yes, over this, and I, I understand mental illness that's why I wanted to do this interview. I, I don't know what all the issues are, but I, I want to help you get those answers. There's a side of this story that hasn't been told, and I want it told. That's why we didn't go to the, the news channel. We want to at least get our statement out here that the best as we can, because this wasn't my son that did this. It was his body that did it, but it wasn't him and him right mind. They think our kid is a villain, I mean, just the evilest son of a bitch on the face of this earth. He's a decent young man that something snapped in him. Something snapped in my son. You're saying he, he's being portrayed as the most evil son of a bitch on the planet, and what he did is an evil act. You agree with that, oh, right? Oh, yes. yes. His behavior to go out there and shoot these two young men multiple times in the back and the head and, and murder them in cold blood. It was wrong. Egregious and wrong. It's unacceptable. But you're saying, why did my son do this? Let's start with that. What is it you want people to know about Eddie that they don't know? Eddie was a good man. He still is a good man. He is a good man. Let's talk about who he was before he went into the military. He went to the same high school that Chris Kyle graduated from. Yes. I know the record said a security guard at the school described him as always ready to fight and had a chip on his shoulder. I believe that's unfair. I think he did pretty good in school. He had lots of friends through the ag program and through football. Why did he move out of y'all's house and in with his aunt in 2004? You want me to tell you the truth about it? Our rules are strict. What was he wanting to do that was not okay? 
uh, party all the time, not be respectful of his parents. Wanted to drink, smoke, smoke pot and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, within the year, his uncle ODs on morphine. My dad died the same day. Sorry, that's a tough day for you. You lose two in a day. Pretty much. So your dad passes on the same day that the uncle overdoses on morphine. Yes. So we know this was in Eddie's sphere of existence. We know it's mm -hmm. around. Right. Do we know if he was taking any morphine? No. At this point, are you seeing any unusual behavior out of him? No hallucinations, no delusions, no, no, no behavior that you're going, oh, not okay? None whatsoever. No, sir. Okay. In 06, he signs up for the Marines, goes into boot camp, gets a citation for meritorious distinction. Yes, he gets um, promotion to private first class there. Right. In 07, he's deployed to Iraq, and at this point still, you're not seeing anything bizarre? Nothing. So he goes to Iraq, and he comes back, and there's this massive earthquake in Haiti that just destroys the country, and he is deployed on humanitarian assignment. What did he say had impacted him while he was there? He just, his comment to me was, Mom, they didn't train me to go and see the devastation that I saw. And that was really hard for him. And he was always very concerned about children in America being hungry, having shelter. He was so concerned about wasting food that was in our refrigerator, even if it was two or three weeks old and I was gonna throw it out. He wouldn't allow me to throw it out, he would eat it. But was there anything that he saw in Haiti that he reported to you that you think might have created PTSD with him? Well, one thing he sure. saw were uh, a lot of dead bodies. And that was one of the things he said, they didn't train me to pick up bodies off the beach and dump them in a dump truck. At this point, we're at the end of the summer in, in 2010, he leaves active duty and he gets a job as a military contractor. Yes. But he leaves after five months and comes home, why? Panic attacks. Okay. Just flying. He's not liking the flying. No, mm -hmm. sir. So he gets a job in Houston in 2011, putting up siding on storage buildings. Mm -hmm. Yes. He has a heat stroke. Yes. This is when he starts talking about a tapeworm. Yes. He was so incredibly obsessed that he had this tapeworm and that it was eating him from the inside out. It was eating his muscles. He was eating ravenously, just everything he could get his hands on. Okay, he's checked. He doesn't have a tapeworm. No, he sure didn't. He thinks the whole family's got tapeworms. Yeah, he Have you any a... idea where this comes from? None. You take him to the lake to spend some time with him. He starts talking bizarre there. What's he talking about? Talking about vampires and um, werewolves and wanting to suck your blood. And By this time, he goes up there to the trunk of the car and tries to get my pistol and tries to blow his brains out. Why does he want to blow his brains out? He's sick of the living with this stuff in his head. A week or so before the incident at the uh, the lake, 
He asked me, Mom, take me to the hospital, I'm not good. He meant that his thoughts and what he was thinking about was not good. We took him to the hospital and he was there for like three days and because he self-admitted, when he said he was fine, they let him go. Even though he was still having these wild thoughts and thinking that there's a new world order and maybe he's the Messiah, maybe I'm Satan. and. You know, he, he really did not know what was going on, but he knew he needed help. And understand, I've not met Eddie yet at this point, but I have to tell you, none of this sounds like PTSD. This sounds like severe mental illness. But the and only I... thing we were told by the doctors was that there was psychosis, not otherwise specified, and PTSD. Well, you're also seeing hallucinations and delusions and things that don't necessarily have anything at all to do with PTSD and their appearing absent triggers. We're seeing a lot of uh, staring into space, not knowing when <clears throat> someone speaks to him, not responding. Falling on the deck after nail guns going off. Right, I mean, clearly there are some things that, uh, that could be consistent with PTSD but it, it, it seems much more severe. Right, and I have not had the opportunity to watch the show that you did with a young man with PTSD, but a dear friend watched it and started um, emailing and calling me immediately. Dr. Phil's doing a show and it's Eddie to a T. Well, clearly he has a severe mental illness and oftentimes there's comorbidity. These things exist together. Well, when he was in the hospital for the nine days or whatever it is, and the doctor come up to me and said, do your son look any better to you? And I said, hell no, he don't look no goddamn better. And guess what? They let him out the next day. That's what I don't understand about this. So he's in and out of mental wards. You say he needs to remain. And then January 2013, you approach Chris Kyle at the school, correct? And you do it specifically because you've been told that Eddie has PTSD. Absolutely, and Chris had a Fitco Cares, which was an organization that he led in order to help uh, veterans with PTSD. And I'm at my wit's end to get some help from my child. What did you say to Chris that day? Coming up. You had absolutely no idea that asking him for help that a week later he would murder Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield. I would have never asked if I had an idea that this could happen. I needed help for my son. Did you tell Chris that he had been paranoid, that he had taken weapons, that he had a history of drugs and alcohol? on an all-new Dr. Phil, the video that outraged a nation. What really went on inside the SAE frat house. Is racism still rampant? You're going to hear some despicable things. This is the episode. My dad refuses to accept my son because he is half black. Everyone should see. I told her if she ever got pregnant to one of them apes, I would have to build a monkey cage. You must protect your child from your father. All-new Dr. Phil. That's tomorrow. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. 
Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. We now return to Inside the Mind of the Man Who Shot the American Sniper, a Dr. Phil exclusive. Kyle volunteered to help vets suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Police believe he was trying to counsel 25-year-old Eddie Ray Roth this weekend at a gun range southwest of Dallas. The suspect's mother, she may have reached out to Mr. Kyle to try and help her son. And we kind of have an idea that maybe that's why they were at the range for some type of therapy. What did you say to Chris that day? I said, Chris, would you be willing to help my son? He's a former Marine and he has PTSD and he really needs some help and we're not getting what we need. And he said, yes, I would be willing to help. And that was my first day in several years that I really felt like anybody even cared if Eddie got the help he needed or not. It's all right. His, his trip to the hospital was not giving him the help he needed. And I had so, so very much trusted the VA to take care of my son who was a veteran because he had given his time and energy to our country. And I hate so much that I counted on them, but I, I did not know what, I, I was at a loss for other resources. And I just, I needed help for my son. And he agrees to help. He did. And of course you had, you had absolutely no idea that asking him for help, that a week later he would murder Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield. You, you of course, had no idea. I would have never asked if, that, if I had a, an idea that this could happen. What do you say to yourself about that now? It's a very hard feeling for me, and I, I know it's not my fault. And of course, hindsight's 2020. Eight days before this had happened, you had begged the VA to not turn him out. I did, and they kept him one more day. And I said, no, he's not ready. You said, don't let him go. Don't let him go. He can't carry on a conversation. He was still not Eddie. And they said, well, well he'll stay tonight. At that point, he'd been there four days, and that's not very long. But you told him he's not ready. I don't, did. Don't let him go. And the very next day they called and they said they were going to release him. And by the time I arrived there, Eddie was wandering the parking lot. They'd already discharged him. Did you know about the episode with his girlfriend, Jen? We're seeing a face of Eddie Routh the public hasn't seen yet. Routh's girlfriend, Jennifer Weed, testified Routh began behaving strangely months before the murders. She says he would go weeks without bathing and at one point made her communicate on a legal pad because he thought the government was listening. When I tried to speak to him, he would take his hand and he would cover my mouth because he didn't want them to hear what I had to say. Did he tell you who he thought was listening to him? It was typically the government. He definitely had 
paranoia about the government out to get him. Did you know that he had clutched a butcher knife and said he was going to defend her from government agents? I knew a little bit about that, and I talked to Jen, and she was saying that Eddie was not in any way trying to harm me. He was trying to protect me. Did you tell Chris that he had been paranoid, that, that he had taken weapons before, the knife, the 357 Magnum at the lake? And no, because was, I didn't know they were paranoid delusions. I just thought they were a part of the PTSD. Did you tell Chris that he had a history of drugs and alcohol? I did tell him he had a history of alcohol, and Chris said he understood that, because he also did. You know, PTSD is generally not violent, but if you pour drugs and alcohol into the mix, the incidence of violence ramps up dramatically. At the time that you were talking to Chris and in the ensuing days, was Eddie talking about pig men and all of this? The ones in the sky are the ones that fly, you know what I mean? The pigs in the world, they can, they can truly say they're pigs. I've been smelling it this whole time, you know? He wasn't talking about the pig men and stuff in those few days after the hospital. He was very suicidal because he felt like that was his only way out. It was pretty difficult as a mom to be driving home from work and just hoping and praying all the way home that when I get there, I don't find my son dead. Let's fast forward to February 2nd. Take me through the moment that you found out that he had murdered Chad Littlefield and Chris Kyle. Coming up. I had Chris's number in my phone and I dialed it and no one answered. It was a heart stopping moment. He said that he killed two guys. They went out to a shooting range and he's like, he's all crazy. He's psychotic. Have you ever watched a scary movie and the villain's eyes turn black? Mm -hmm. It was that moment, but it was in real life. And it scared the living hell out of me. Inside the mind of the man who shot the American sniper continues. The Marine accused of killing the military's deadliest sniper and another veteran this weekend spent time in a mental hospital twice in the last four months. According to police records, Eddie Ruth threatened to kill his family and then commit suicide. And there was another incident just last month that caused police to take him to Green Oak Psychiatric Hospital. Take me through the moment that you found out that he had murdered Chad Littlefield and Chris Kyle. Raymond and I had, we had met in Abilene for the weekend. I needed a mental health day for me. And I needed some time to talk to Raymond and, and try to make a better plan for what we could do to help our son. Raymond had been talking with the VA in Amarillo and we wanted to move Eddie up there so that he could go to a different hospital and hopefully get the help he needed. Then that day never came. Our daughter, Laura, calls, and she is hysterical. And I knew the moment I heard her voice that something really had gone wrong. And she tells me, Eddie's killed two people. And I knew she was, I knew she was telling me the truth. My heart just kept saying, no, no, Eddie could never do this. 
And that's when I took the phone away from her and called, told Lori to call the police. And I called my neighbor next door because he was the police officer. If you see Eddie, stop him. Did she tell you who? She had no idea. She didn't know. It don't but, matter who it but was. But I did. You knew? When she told me he was driving a black truck, I knew that truck. I'd seen it before. I'd opened the doors on it to let the kids out at school. I knew it was Chris's truck. I had Chris's number in my phone and I dialed it and no one answered. It was a heart-stopping moment. Your home on February 2nd, and he shows up at your house. Yes. He walks in and says what? Is the world freezing over? And the hair on my neck stood up, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I killed two guys today. And I said, who did you kill? I don't know who they are. And I said, who did you go with? I think his name is Chris. He said, what are you talking about? I told him, I said, if you're telling me the truth, you need to call the police and turn yourself in because I didn't know, does he have a gun? Is he gonna harm me? What the hell is going on? Because at this point, I didn't honestly believe him. Yeah, That's you wouldn't believe him, right? No. And I said, okay, well then I'm calling the cops. Now, well, one Yes, ma'am, my brother just came by here. He's now left, but he told me that he's committed a murder. And I'm, I'm terrified for my life. Okay, hold on. I don't know if he's gonna come back here. Okay, who did he say he had killed? He said that he killed two guys, they went out to a shooting range, and he's, like, he's all crazy, he's psychotic. He started talking about people sucking his soul, and he said that he took their souls before he, they could take his. And we started walking to the door, and I got out on my front porch, and I saw a massive pickup truck with giant knobby tires, and I felt like I was gonna throw up. You knew that not his truck. Right. And I looked at him and I said, I love you, but I hate your demons. And as soon as I mentioned demons, have you ever watched a scary movie and the villain's eyes turn black. Mm -hmm. It was that moment, but it was in real life. And it scared the living hell out of me. At one point he said, love you Beezer. Yeah. Uh, that's your nickname, he, he calls you Beezer? Yeah. Was that his goodbye to you? I don't wanna cry. I never really thought about it until just now that that was our goodbye. I was so scared for Laura too because she was really, Laura knew that wasn't her brother that showed up at her house. As a mother, what did you say to yourself when you realized this is real or he's done this, he's killed two men? Coming up. The police officer was holding the phone up and I was telling my son to get out of the damn truck. Get out of the truck, son. Were you afraid they were gonna shoot him? Closed captioning provided by... There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. 
I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. Inside the mind of the man who shot the American sniper continues. The black truck driven by Ralph led police on a chase that reached speeds of 100 miles an hour. It shows officers tried to ram the truck, but Ralph surrendered minutes later. As a mother, what did you say to yourself when you realized this is real? Or he's done this, he's killed two men and driven off in one of their cars. I just kept thinking I'm the mom of someone who's killed. It hurt me so deeply that my child could do this. I just couldn't even imagine that it was real. What did you say to yourself when you realized your boy had murdered two people? Why did my son do this? What went down? The police officer was holding the phone up and I was telling my son to get out of the damn truck. Get out of the truck, son because it was wrong. Were you afraid they were gonna shoot him if he didn't turn himself over? Yes, sir. I did. I really did. Some of the guns are still in the truck. I'm hurt that a, a situation like this could even happen. The sad part is it, it's over and over and over and over from the VA hospital. They still turning people out. They ain't trying to help them. They just letting them go. Is the VA to blame or is your son to blame? My son is to blame for shooting these two people. We've never denied that Eddie did this. I ain't saying he didn't do this, Dr. Phil. But if the son guns would have kept him in the hospital, we wouldn't have his problem. The VA had the opportunity to keep Eddie in there. Green Oaks wrote a damn letter to him and told him he is danger to himself and others. Yes, and they had set up a mental health hearing in Dallas County Court for the 29th of January, and their doctor said that Eddie needed to remain hospitalized for 30 to 90 days because he was a danger to others. I drive him back to the VA for his follow-up with the psychiatrist. And he begins to look at Eddie's records and he says, well, the first thing I see here is that the dosage of medication that they've given your son is only a child-sized dosage. We definitely need to increase that. He'd ask Eddie a question. Eddie would say, you know, like, roses are yellow. I mean, his answers, he couldn't even answer the question. Totally out of touch with reality. Totally yes, out of touch with reality. Why can't we get Eddie readmitted? It's obvious by looking at him. He is not here. And he said, that's really not necessary. We'll just increase his medication. They had the perfect opportunity to keep him remaining, you know, rem I'm sorry. Eddie Ray Ralph is charged with two counts of capital murder. He was transported to the Erath County Courthouse Annex under tight security, and he entered a not guilty plea. When you went to see your son in, in jail. 
Did he understand what was going on? He didn't even know why he was there. And we couldn't tell him because we were instructed by the attorneys not to talk about anything because it was all being taped. He didn't know why he was in jail? He didn't really know why and he couldn't understand why we didn't pick him up. I mean, we'd sit down and pick up the phone and he'd say, Mom, are you here to pick me up today? And I'd have to say, no, I'm not. But you eventually told him, $3 million bail, you're, you're serious. Yeah. yeah. I have to ask you because I, I think people will want to know, as parents, what it was like for the two of you to go through that trial hearing your son painted as a monster. When anyone says awful things about your child, it cuts you in two. It breaks your heart again and again. I wasn't about to give up on my son then, and I'm not about to give up on him now. It was hard for me to sit there and not speak out. Did the jury get this right? Coming up. You know, what you, what you do today is wrong, right? You understand that? If you don't know something's wrong, you don't act to cover it up. Why would you cover it up if you don't know it's wrong? Tomorrow on an all-new Dr. Phil. Is racism still rampant? Growing up, there was a picture of Hitler. On our fireplace mantle. You know he's a member of the Klan. I accept him for who he is. He's a hate monger. That's tomorrow. Closed captioning provided by... We now return to a Dr. Phil exclusive, Inside the Mind of the Man Who Shot the American Sniper. A guilty verdict at the American Sniper trial. It did not take long for the jury there to reach its decision. Did the jury get this right? No, sir. How did they get it wrong? What did they miss? They missed that he was insane at the time of this incident. Listen to a few of the things they had to say, and let me ask you to respond. I don't think he's insane at all. I think he played the system. In the very end, this young man knew right from wrong. Yeah. And so with a good conscience, we had to say he was guilty of this crime because he knew right from wrong. The state did not go for the death penalty against Eddie Ralph. If they had, show me your hands how many of you think you would have voted for death in this case. I've never seen that before. What they're saying is that in the initial interrogation, he says, I, I knew it was wrong. That's why I left. I was trying to cover this up. And then he shows coherent thought. He goes by his sister's house. He goes, gets his dog. He goes here, he goes there. He goes. I mean, he's functioning. He's not lost. He's not disoriented. He says, I knew it was wrong. We they they pissed me off. I, they weren't talking to me. They were ignoring me. I didn't like what they were doing. They were talking, are you going to shoot? Are you going to shoot? So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll show you. I'll shoot. So I shot them both. And I knew it was wrong, and I just did it. You know, what you, what you do today is wrong, right? You understand that? Really? And you do drive it away thinking that truck was wrong. If you don't know something's wrong, you don't act to cover it up. Why would you cover it up if you don't know it's wrong? What's a jury to do with that? Got to find him guilty. I mean, he said it was wrong. He said, he, I, know, I knew it was wrong when I did it. He said he knew it was wrong. 
But at the very moment that he committed the crime, I don't know. It wasn't just a moment. It's like 12, 13 shots. That's a lot of shooting across time. Then he admits to Laura that he murdered two men. And he says he used drugs and alcohol that morning. And he went through a drive-through and got two bean burritos. Mentally ill people still need to eat food. And I'm not saying that Eddie... Listen, this is not a rational act by a rational person. We know that on its face, right? Without talking to him, I can't even figure out what kind of proper diagnostics need to take place. But I can tell you what's on my short list of considerations. This young man, he is clearly psychotic. For someone to say that he's just faking all of this, to me is absurd. Knowing right from wrong and having the ability to suppress an impulse is a really big difference. This is an impulse you just choose not to resist, which is very different than the irresistible impulse. There are some impulses you cannot resist versus those you just choose not to resist. And if you are so delusional that you believe you are in imminent danger, you will act to defend yourself. And that was never addressed here. But yet we see patterns of that with him across time. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. Right. I'm just saying, yeah. if you're gonna understand this young man, you have to look at the entire fabric of who he is. Eddie knows right from wrong because he was taught that. But I do not believe in the moment that he was committing the killings that he knew right from wrong. Coming up. I would love to have my son back, my Eddie back, but I will never have my son back. You don't want your son turned loose. Inside the mind of the man who shot the American sniper continues. You don't want your son turned loose. You just no, don't, sir. You just don't want him I'd like to thrown away. I'd like to see him get some help for his whatever it is, whatever they call it, PTSD, psychosis, whatever they call that stuff, whatever they can come up with. Give my man some help. That's all I'm asking for. No, I do not want him back out here. I would love to have my son back, my Eddie back, but I will never have my son back. To me, it's like a rubber band. You grab a rubber band and you stretch it so far and it snaps. Something happened, we don't know what it is. We're just simple folk, family, that we know we taught them right from wrong. Well, Dr. Dunn, who you say testified on behalf of your son, I've read his testimony and his reports carefully. He believes that your son is psychotic and hence his defensive posture about things hurting him. And I, I don't even think the expert for the prosecution would disagree with a lot of the end result in terms of the paranoia. They, they might disagree as to the cause or the onset, but everybody agrees that this is a severely psychotic, mentally ill young man. 
Well, in the state of Texas, the definition of insanity at the time of a crime is so narrow. In a different state, you might have a very different outcome. Let, let me give you this to think about. We clearly have a, a severely mentally ill young man here, right? Yes. Whatever you call it, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, PTSD, and you introduce substances, marijuana, alcohol, cocaine, morphine, whatever, and a, and a person is predisposed to psychosis, for example. The interaction between those drugs and that mental illness is profound. And it's profound at the brain level, the neurological level. There has to be some understanding of what's gone wrong with the wiring. And, and maybe, maybe he's gonna spend the rest of his life in jail, but maybe the quality of that life can be enhanced. That's all we've ever wanted is for him to get the treatment. We just want some treatment for our son so his brain will function. You say you're not giving up on your son, and I, I want everybody to understand no mother should, and that doesn't mean that you're trying to trivialize what he did. You're not saying what he did was okay. Hell no, it ain't okay. Jody, what would you say to Chris Kyle if you could talk to him right now? Closed captioning provided by... Ready to get real? Go to DrPhil.com for advice on relationships, parenting, finances, and more. Plus, weigh in on your favorite episodes, share your stories, and find support in the Dr. Phil community. When you sign up for the community, you will automatically be subscribed to the Dr. Phil Show newsletter. Log on to DrPhil.com today. Jody, what would you say to Chris Kyle if you could talk to him right now? What would you say to Chad Littlefield? What would you say to those men? I would just tell them that I was so grateful that they were willing to give Eddie a hand, to try to help Eddie. And how I, I wish they were here, that this had never, ever happened. But I do believe in their hearts that they really wanted to help Eddie. And I've, I've grieved for their moms. And I've prayed and prayed for them and their families, their children. I think they were truly trying to help my son. I really do. And I'm so sorry for these people's loss. This ain't just two people. Dad is three, kind of. It should never happen, but it did. And you can't turn back time. You just can't. Well, I think this certainly turns a bright light on this situation. I'm grateful that you do have a show to, for people to understand that mental illness is real. I'm proud to have both of you on the show. I appreciate it. Raymond, thank you, thank you very much. Me. Really appreciate it. Eddie Ray Rouse's parents don't deny that their son committed a heinous and unthinkable act. But they hope that by speaking out, someone will see warning signs, someone will reach out for help, and maybe even one person can be saved as a result. They also hope their son will get the help he needs, even if he spends the rest of his life behind bars. Eddie Ray Rath plans to appeal his sentence. We will keep you updated as this story continues to unfold. 
Our thoughts and prayers go out to Chris Kyle's family and Chad Littlefield's family. For more information, go to drphil.com. Thanks for being here today.